0: Welcome to the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast with your host, Ellen Wright, family law attorney, divorce coach, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker, discussing all things divorce and helping you learn to keep the pain of separation from holding you back. And now, your host, Ellen Wright.
1: Welcome to episode 10 of the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. Today with me, I have Lisa Danovich, who is a court clinician for the Middlesex County Probate and Family Court. And we're going to be unpacking a really important and heavy question that a lot of parents wrestle with, really when they're in family court and out of family court. And that question is, should I force my teenager to go to therapy? So, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on this podcast today. I know you're super busy at the trial court with all of the cases that you're involved with. uh, And you're just let me just say you are so fantastic. You do such a service to the trial
2: court. So thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm always excited to talk about any topics related to children and families. Awesome. So, Lisa, tell us a little bit about your
1: background. I know you're a licensed social worker. How long have you been doing what you do? And tell me a little bit about what your life and what brought you into
2: this line of work. Sure. So I have been a social worker for over 25 years. Prior to being a social worker, I worked with children and families. So I've been working with children and families that I've done throughout my whole career for a very long time. I. Always wanted to advise young people. I didn't when I was a kid myself, I was always the dear Abby. People probably don't remember that. I'm aging myself, yeah. but in terms of people coming to me for advice. And I just always loved children. So basically wanted to combine them both, which is what I went what, where I went into the field. Mm-hmm. I started out working in most mostly residential and day treatment programs with yep. Pretty severe, traumatized children, young children, latency age children that were had pretty significant mental health problems, acting out problems, emotional problems, family drama. Mm. So that was my introduction. I was there for a very long time. After that, I went to. I was a clinical director at a school for for kids on the spectrum, and I worked with kids from five to. 25, because we have a post-high school program as well. And then after that, I went to the trial court. I've been at the trial court for about five years now. Wow.
1: And um, what do you find most satisfying about your work with the trial court and the families involved in the family and probate court?
2: First of all, I really love my job at the trial court. It accumulates all the work that I've done with kids and families over the years. I really consider myself, when all of a sudden, is said and done, as a child advocate. That is what I'm very passionate about. What's best for children. So, of course, the trial court is the main mission. The, my main goal in every case that I do is what's best for the child. Right. So, my frustration was never with families or kids, as tough as they were and difficult as they could be. It was always around the system. The Child welfare system, the DCF system, we don't have the greatest systems, but they are what they are. It's what we have. Right. So I was very fulfilling to come here because I can make recommendations for what's best for children. And a lot of the times, most of the times, the judges take my recommendations and then they become orders. So it's very just gratifying knowing that I'm recommending what is in the best interest Of the child.
1: That's great. That is so awesome. Lisa, teenagers, they're a tough bunch. Adolescents, those 13 to 18, man. I tell you, I have a 15-year-old son, and it's just like I'm it's I'm constantly getting either the runaround, the back talk. Being a parent in 2023 is tough. And then if you have a teenager on top of it, it's oh my gosh. So with these troubled teens and statistics show that teen suicide is on the rise, kids with self-harm ideations, substance abuse, there's so many challenges that face teenagers today. And parents, sometimes they're under a court order to get the kids in therapy, sometimes not, but it's not always easy to get these kids to go. In your experience, what are some of the common reasons that, that you see in your work at the trial court that teenagers just resist going to therapy or put up a fight?
2: I think that the first thing that's important to know is by nature, teenagers are resistant. It's part of the development. So just to be, I don't want to get too technical, but I do think it's important for any intervention to understand a little bit about development. And in this case, your brain starts growing by like early adolescence. And the teen years are really about the fine-tuning of the brain, right? The last part of the brain that matures, your brain really doesn't fully mature to its what it's going to be till you're in the mid to late 20s. So the part of the brain behind the forehead is the prefrontal cortex. And this is one of the last parts to mature. And the reason why this is important, particularly when it comes to teenagers, is This area is responsible for skills like planning, prioritizing, making good decisions. So what these changes of the brain are responsible for social processes that lead teens to focus more on peer relationships and social experiences. And because the emphasis for teens is on their peer relationships and the ongoing prefrontal cortex development, it. Often leads to teens taking more risks because the social benefits outweigh the possible consequences of a decision. So, kids up till in adolescence rely on the amyg- amygdala, which is part of the brain. Dela. I never say that right. <laughs> it's where primitive emotions, urges, impulses, fears, aggression, primitive desires are located. Yes. So, in practice, this looks like acting out before thinking about things or acting impulsively, which is a common element in teenagers, right? Of course, all of this, every person's different. This doesn't mean every single teenager follows this, but this is the development of teenagers. So in practice, they act on impulse, they misread and misinterpret social cues. The biggest thing that I think impacts therapy too is They don't really consider consequences. They very much live for now. So they don't think about what's later, how it impacts them, which therapy is very much helping you with functioning and future. And that's not the mindset of children, of teenagers. So you have already built in resistance and then you're asking them to talk to someone they don't know about what's going on for them. And that might be hard for them. So that's the, some possible reasons why teenagers mm. may resist mm. the therapy. They also clearly don't want to identify that something's quote unquote wrong with them, which going to therapy does not mean. So what's the best approach for a
1: parent? What? How do they how would they formulate a conversation with a teen about the prospect of going to therapy?
2: Yes, I mean, there there is a lot of things to consider when you want a teenager to go to therapy. You want to really find out, because like you said, there's so much going on, like more anxiety and depression amongst teens than ever before. Right. And COVID, I think, just made that exponential, but I think it was a problem before COVID as well. So also, I think the thing that's positive is actually a lot of, because so many teenagers do suffer from anxiety and depression, in some ways it's easier because they, they often know peers that are in therapy, mm-hmm. struggling with the same issues, Right, which, which for teenagers helps dramatically. So if you're trying to get your teenager to go to therapy, you really want to think about why is it that you want to go to therapy? Why is it that you want your child to go to therapy? What are they doing? But there's so many different issues. There's mental health issues. There's family, there's substance abuse issues. There's so many different reasons that kids might need help. So is it ever appropriate for a parent to force them
1: or like hang the threat of punishment over their head if they refuse to go?
2: The simple answer is no. The reason I say no is because you can drag your, anyone, an adult too, into therapy. However, therapy involves engagement, you need to be able to engage in the process in order to benefit from it. And if they're going, ticking and screaming and they don't want to engage, they're not going to get anything out of it anyway. And the other danger is that they have a negative view of therapy, which you don't want them to do because in the future, they don't engage in it as teenagers. You want them to be able to be open to it later on when they're in their 20s, when they're in their 30s, when you have no influence or a little less influence over their decisions. Right. So, in general, I would say you the only situation, but it's not really forcing them into therapy, is forcing them to get help. If they're a danger, if there's threatening suicide, or if there's a problem with drugs or alcohol use that reaches the level where you need to do something, then you absolutely need to do something. Right. Which usually involves contacting the police, having them hospitalized. Right. Running away, that's another sort of red flag, right? It can be. It, it, that's hard to say. We all ran away, right? I ran right. away when I was eight. Like <laughs> <drop street laughs> right. And I remember my mother saying she'd make me a sandwich because she knew I would come back. Um, and I did. You really have to. Again, it's so hard because I don't want to say it depends because there's so many different issues. But Running away, meaning what? What, Are they running from a family problem? Are they running to a boyfriend they want to be with? Yeah, yeah, it could be a mix of anything. Right, right. So, you know, that's not it. That's that was not necessarily an emergency unless they're in danger, which depends on the situation. Right, right. Now.
1: A lot of parents who are in a situation where there's a court order for the kids to go to therapy. If, even if these parents are able to
2: find therapy in the Yeah, family, that's a whole right? other I mean, There's is, such a shortage. I mean, you especially said. in person. Mm-hmm. There's since I think that's the good and bad of COVID. Yep. Virtual therapy became a thing, which is nice that it was available. Yeah. What I find is that more and more people are doing only virtual. For a lot, I think it's, this is my clinical opinion, uh, based on working with mostly significant mental health and trauma and issues in both adults and kids, that it's not the same doing it virtually as it is in person. Yeah. And you, if you have a major mental illness, I'm not convinced that doing it virtually is the best thing. If you're having ongoing therapy and you've been in therapy and you have a relationship with the person, it's ongoing. It seems to work from. So it's really hard to find in person people. But that's probably another podcast discussion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the therapy shortage. Yes. In Massachusetts and the whole country, really, for that yes. matter. And um, believe it or not, Massachusetts is number two in the country for the most amount of mental health providers. Really? Yes. And we. Wow. Are, sure. So can you imagine what it's like in Kansas or. Oh, my Oh, I know in the middle of nowhere. Where right.
1: Right. Oh, my gosh. That's
2: amazing. That's a heck yeah. of a
1: statistic, Lisa. I know. <laughs> Who knew, right? I know. Wow. So when there is a court order for a teenager to go to therapy, but maybe it's the garden variety, mental health issues that we see. I don't know. It could be anything. But what are the consequences if the teenager refuses to go to therapy when there's a court order for them to go? Do you see judges coming down on parents if, number one, let's assume for a minute that there is a therapist? So somehow, some way we had a therapist. Right. Had a regularly scheduled appointment. there maybe there was an intake done. but for any of the follow-up visits, Johnny or Susan is refusing to go. What can a mother or father expect from a family court judge if they're not going?
2: Yeah, I think like anything, it varies. I've seen it vary with different judges, but I think you're right in general. It would be the parents that would be put on the hot seat for trying to get the child or teenager there, not the teenager, him or herself. However, it's I've also seen many judges understand you can't physically put someone in the car comes up a lot more with families therapy when kids. Don't want to go with one or the other parent to family therapy. And then the other parent gets upset and blames the parent because they're not getting them there. Right. So and I think even if that is said, the reality is I'm not I don't think it should be about consequences. I'm just I don't think parents should be as concerned about that. I think judges are genuinely concerned with the children getting and the teenagers getting the help they need. I don't think their goal is to consequence someone. It's just how do we get this help that we need? Right. Uh, And judges have different understandings of mental health and development and all of that, of course.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. It's a minefield. There's no question about it. What do you think some strategies, helpful strategies that could be implemented by parents to help their teenager feel more comfortable with the idea of therapy?
2: Yeah, I do think there's a lot of ways to do that. Personally, I've been engaged with a lot of my friends' teenagers who were resistant to therapy, and they would call me to talk to them and help them. And so I think there's definitely things that you can do. First of all, Based on what I was saying, too, about development, is compromise and choice are very important to think about with teens. Really want to keep that in mind. So helping them understand. And again, I understand it's more difficult with a shortage of mental health, but they do have a choice. Mm -hmm. If they meet with a therapist that they don't find a connection to, Mm -hmm. then talk to them about negotiating a certain amount of sessions to see about that, Mm -hmm. and then you can discuss seeing someone else. It's like any professional. Right. It goes
1: back to what you were saying about the way their brains are forming. They need to have some control and some opinions of their own to have some sort of a say to, like, practice that independence that they're learning. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And then
2: a lot of and this comes up for me a lot. People think And often compliment me on my therapy. And I appreciate that. But I feel like a lot of what I do, which seems so simple, is stating the obvious. I don't think people do that enough. So in other words, just sharing with your team what you're observing. So if you're concerned about a behavior your team's engaging in or a functioning problem, state the obvious. Sit down and talk to them about, okay, this is what I think is good. this is what I see. Do you see this as a problem? Do you are you worried about this interfering with your life? Do you have any concerns? That kind of thing. And also trying to dispel the myths of therapy. Do they understand what therapy is? That it's for them. That it's a chance to talk about yourself and only you. It's only if you're the only focus. Which right. Teenagers like that. Yep. Wow, I get to do it's all about, it's all about you. Are they concerned about their privacy? Now, there's rules about confidentiality, especially with teenagers in therapy and parents. Yeah. So make that really clear to them. Make sure they have a chance to talk to the therapist and their parent if mm-hmm. they don't feel comfortable with sharing some information in therapy with the parent. So reassuring them that the parent's not going to grill them or make them tell them things unless they want to. Of course, there's always that option. And a lot of parents, a lot of teenagers talk to their parents, which is great. But just knowing that there's boundaries and making sure that they understand that's part of therapy, that there are some boundaries and there is confidentiality if that's what they're concerned about. And you might know other ideas are, go to therapy yourself, role model it for the children, you know, that you're in therapy that you're using and how it's been helpful to you. Right. Authorizing the process. Exactly. Would it be helpful for the teenager to do more family therapy? And some teenagers might be more comfortable if their parent went with that. It doesn't have to be that way. Just being creative and offering that. If they feel like They'd feel better if their parents spoke up for them. They're shy or quieter and don't really want to say it. That's another option. Again, with allowing them some control, tell them they can critique the therapist. They can share with you how they felt about the person. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing.
0: Are you struggling to get your teenager to go to therapy? Get practical advice and valuable insights to get your troubled teen on track with exclusive tips that only clinical social workers know by downloading our free e-guide. Discover the secrets that will empower you to finally get through to your teen and unlock the help they desperately need. Don't let your teen struggle alone any longer. Click the link in the show notes and download our free e-guide for life-changing tips that will transform your approach to helping your troubled teenager. And the other
2: another important thing is this which the term they often think they're cr- they're not crazy, so why should they go to therapy? A lot of teenagers, a lot of young people, equate therapy with being quote unquote crazy, right? And of course, the reality is not everyone who attends therapy has even mental health issues. Some people go to gain a better understanding of themselves, learn better coping strategies, problem solve everyday life challenges. Yep. So making sure all of those things are understood. And also anything else with teenagers, validate their feelings. It's all right if they don't want to go. Let's talk about why you don't want to go, what concerns they have. And again, telling them if they don't always know, they don't always know the consequences of their behavior. They don't always understand it. If your daughter comes home and she just had a bad breakup, Relationship problems are huge for teens. They say, when you break up, it's like the end of your life. especially your first one, your heart's broken. It's understandable. You'll never recover from it. This is the only person that ever loves you. They don't see again the future of it. So if you notice that and you say to them, they say, John broke up with me. I will never be loved. So there's no reason for me to live. I might as well kill myself. Right. So you might say that's really concerning as a parent to hear. Now, some people say sadly when they're upset, I'm going to kill myself. They don't mean it. Right. Just, as a parent, want to say, and when you say that, it worries me. I just wanted to hear what you think about that. And avoid labels with teenagers too, to say, I see you seem depressed, or I'm worried if you have anxiety disorder. away from that, because that again might make them feel like they're crazy or less than. Yeah. Buzzwords that are going to be a big turnoff. Yeah, more describing the behavior. I notice Mm -hmm. you're sleeping a lot. You seem sad to me, uh, you know, all the time. Right. Be actual behaviors. Do you feel you seem sad to me all the time? Are you sad? So those are good.
1: Right.
2: I think for.
1: Are there any situations where it's not a good idea for a
2: teenager to go to therapy? I think. Therapy and talking about yourself and everything I said before about having someone to talk about life and process it, and some coping strategies and yep. way to experience this helps helpful for everyone. But I also don't think therapy is the answer for everything either. I don't think everyone needs therapy. That's the other thing you can do with your teenager is, let's say, for example, they're not doing they're not going to school. They're not participating in school. This is like a new pattern for them. When they were younger, it makes you worried about that. Right. And you say, you're not participating in school. This is what i have observed. I'm concerned. What do you think about talking to someone or going to therapy Look at the finger of the South? No, I'm I can do it. I'm gonna do something. So negotiate with that. Say, okay, what's your ideas besides mm-hmm. therapy? What's your ideas to address this? Right. Uh, Whatever they say. Sorry, at least the whole thing. Hang on. So I think. Okay, so uh, we're back. So I think it's reasonable to get ideas from your teenager about ways that might not be therapy for them to address a problem and then set up a little contact with them. Okay, let's try your way yeah. in two months. Let's check in and see how that worked for you. If it does work, great. If it doesn't, Mm -hmm. would you consider engaging in therapy or would you consider something else? Again, negotiation, choice, very popular among teenagers. Right. So if the
1: teen doesn't end up going to therapy, either because the parents can't find a therapist or because they're just obstinate and they're refusing to go, what can parents do to support their teen's mental health in the absence of a therapist? Right.
2: I think a lot of what I've said is ways to support your teenager, regardless of being in therapy or not. Just really obvious things like opening the door of communication, knowing that they can talk to you if they choose to, knowing that sometimes they won't choose to, then that's okay. Setting clear boundaries, trying to figure out, is there someone else they can talk to? Like an aunt, an uncle, a friend they know, another adult. That might be helpful too. Are they willing to do that? There's, is there people you know that they're more comfortable with? I mean, That's huge. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, just making sure you leave it open and yeah. really monitoring the situation because being anxiety, for example, if they're anxious and they don't want to go to therapy to learn coping strategies, are there ways? You can help them with some coping mm. strategies, knowing you know them the best. The parent knows their child best.
1: So, Lisa, what, what role do schools and educators play in all of this? How can teachers, guidance counselors, how do they identify and address mental health concerns in teenagers?
2: I think teenagers, it's harder. And it also depends on where you go to school, because often high schools are very large and there's a huge population of children, mm-hmm. not teenagers. Okay. Unless a teenager is acting out because those get the attention, right? It's hard to identify them. On the other hand, it's great because you have a whole host of adults that could be helpful to a teenager. So they have guidance. They all have guidance counselors and adjustment counselors and that kind of thing. So the positive thing, there's many positive things about a school, but because we just talked about the lack of mental health services, Schools have in-house mental health support. So at least a check-in there would be helpful and a good way to get kids. Now, in my experience, schools are only willing to deal with school issues. So they don't want to get into kids out-of-school issues for obvious reasons. They're not meant to be long-term outpatient therapists. But it's a good check-in and hopefully it's a good way to see that there's good, positive people that they can talk to, it might help them have a better view of therapy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, assuming there weren't this crazy wait list to find a therapist like there is, what qualities or what sort of credentials or background should parents look for when they're looking to get their teen lined up with a therapist?
2: That is, you just, you want to find a therapist that, of course, works with teenagers and they will self-identify as that. Okay. And then you want to make sure they have experience and whatever's going on. For example, I worked with, as I told you, with autistic kids and there's many that I've seen through the courthouse, kids on the autism spectrum that were previously known as Asperger's. They don't call them any- that anymore. It's all autism spectrum now. But yep. I've seen several kids go through this, through my office that are teenagers that I could tell in five minutes they were on the spectrum, but -hmm. they had not been diagnosed on the spectrum that had been missed. So making sure that they have the right diagnosis, first of all, so they can, like, for example, in that situation with those kids, I recommended that they get evaluated to see if they were in fact on the spectrum, Uh get the right help. Yeah. By the way, of the five kids I identified, all five of them turned out to be on the spectrum. Wow! Without being identified, thankfully the parents did take advice and have them evaluated because that's a whole other discussion about kids on the spectrum and being at that age it is very hard for any teenager, but it's much harder for kids on the spectrum. Right. But like in that example, you'd want to have a therapist who has understanding and experience with autism spectrum, right. because it's very different than other mental health and conditions. Right. So it's just making sure that. Well, man, honestly, it's really all about fit. I work with hundreds and hundreds of kids in my career, but I wouldn't say I could do therapy with any kid. It just depends on the personality fit and if they feel comfortable with me. And if you're a good therapist, you will be perfectly fine with that. In other words, you'll be able to say, I don't think we're the right match. Or they should be able to say that to you without, and you not being offended by that. Because it really is style and personality. Do you want someone who's just going to be a sounding boring be textbook in terms of, oh, okay, I hear what you're saying. Right. and not to really give you strategies and specific advice. Do you want someone that's more... Direct more yeah, advice driven. Right. It really depends. But again, that is impossible to do until you talk to the person. The other thing a lot of people don't know. This I'm glad we sparked this. Is that it- you can interview them just like you can anyone else? They're not, they're people. So if there's an opening, you could say, Can we talk on the phone to see if you're in the right fit? Can we talk? Yeah. Do you mind talking to my teenager? Yeah. And that's true. That's another way to try to engage kids in therapy, and again, it's hard. Like you said, assuming we can find someone, right? So you identify someone. You might want to say, "Can you talk to my? Would you be willing to talk to my teenager for ten minutes to see, to explain what you would do and how it would look? That might make them feel more comfortable too." Now,
1: what about alternative forms of therapy or mental health support? So. Maybe your teenager won't go to therapy. Maybe you can't find a therapist. What about, I don't know, hypnosis or maybe like a divorce, maybe a support group for divorcing children of divorce or. Yeah, I was going to say
2: I went to hypnosis. Okay. <laughs> that would be more of that's more around trauma. And that's usually not used with teenagers much more in yeah. adults. Okay. But. Group therapy, particularly for teenagers, is actually excellent because they realize they're not the only one. So that actually is a really good way to get kids into therapy. It's less, it's not Mm one-to-one, so it's less confrontational. You're with a group, right? So that is actually, group therapy is a good option. And there's all kinds of groups. There's groups for kids with anxiety and depression. There's a lot of those. Because it's such a common day. Yeah. there are groups for kids on the spectrum, social skills groups, things like that. And a lot of times for teenagers, excuse me, that's even more preferable than an individual therapy. Right.
1: Now, circling back to what we had touched on earlier with regard to therapeutic privilege and privacy, right? Mm-hmm. Teenagers are so private. I got my son- Upstairs wants to keep the door closed all the time. And it's hard for these kids. You put them in a room with a stranger. They're expected to spill their guts. What what do you think parents can do to help ensure that their teen's privacy is respected as as much as it can be in in therapy? What are your
2: thoughts on that? I think that, first of all, therapists are... Ongoing cross the board rule about third, for example, my role is very different we don't I don't have confidentiality because my role is to report to the judge and to act and I represent the child or teenager, in other words, because they don't go into the courtroom. I made that very clear right from the beginning with the children, and the children as young as fives developmentally, obviously teenagers. That what they tell me is not confidential. I'm gonna be honest with them because I'm asking them to be honest with me. Right. So that is the first thing that any therapist, other than obviously in my role, it's different, would tell a child. So I wouldn't be concerned at all in ter- if if you're asking if the therapist is gonna break that. Up. Again, a therapist will tell them unless it's an issue of safety, which they have to tell someone. Which they will do. Mm. We'll explain back to the teenagers that they wouldn't break the confidentiality. I think more in an age of helicopter parents and snow, snow plow parents, I think is the new thing. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, that's a new one. I think the more of the concern would be being grilled by the parents. What did you do? Did you talk about me? But stay away. That's the part that's hard. And I get it's hard because you wanna know, you wanna help your child, you That's don't right. want to help them be hurting. And you can tell them if you ever want to talk about anything, I am here. It's very different than what did you talk about? Did you talk? Did I come up? Did you just right. say bad things about me? So I do think that is an issue for teens, like you're saying, they're very private. The other thing that is sometimes helpful for teenagers is a journal. Like writing in their own journal, if they don't want to talk to someone, that no one sees. Right. They just keep it private to themselves. You can help them find a place, a box that they can lock it in, that they only have the key if they're worried about mom or dad snooping. Well, that's another avenue for releasing really mm-hmm. your feelings is through journaling. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Now, what could what can parents do to ensure that their teenager is fully participating in the therapy and they're not just going through the motions to appease
2: the judge or to appease their parents? Is there anything they can do? Yes and no. Honestly, no. Except that if you don't see any change in behavior, again, it depends on where you're going. Is mm-hmm. so that teenagers not expressing relief, like, from their anxiety? Let's use anxiety because that's such a common one. So... If teenagers presenting is really anxious and you see it in their functioning, you see it in their interactions with people in at school, and they've been going, but nothing's really changed. Again, just asking, Do you feel like you're less anxious? Have you been talking about coping strategies? Do you feel like the therapy's helping with you, helping you? Check in with that. And then again, talk about whether Moving to a different therapist is helpful, whether they're engaging or not engaging. So that kind of thing. Generally, though, if you go, mm-hmm. if the teenager's willingly going, they're going to get something out of it eventually because they wouldn't go. They just would refuse to go and say. Right. Now, what about the
1: parents, right? If a teen is refusing to go to therapy, or giving them a really hard time about it. A lot of parents will struggle with their own feelings of guilt and frustration. How do parents deal with that on their end of things? Sometimes they, but, they can even take it out on their kids and make a bad situation even worse.
2: Yeah, we're human, right? We all make mistakes. Right. We all, absolutely. So I think it's very similar, right? They need someone to talk to. So it's not, again, if they're a teenager, if they really want their teenager to go therapy, they're not able to get them to go. They're frustrated. They can go to therapy and talk about their frustration with their teenager, or again, talk to an adult, a friend, a spouse, a partner that they can confide in and have that. Like you said, you just want to be careful not to take it out on your kids. But that's true of anything, of course, for right? All of us. Right. And the other thing is that. We're all human. Adults are humans. And kids don't always remember that. They think of their mom as a mom or their dad as a dad. They don't really think of them teacher as teacher. Oh, yeah. People. And they're people. And I often have discussions with kids about they are people and they need to learn things. And they make mistakes, just like kids and teenagers make mistakes. The difference is when you're an adult, you're supposed to be able to be more accountable for your errors. But you still make that. So giving themselves some slack, too, if they do have an interaction with a teenager or kid that doesn't go so well, you Mm -hmm. can fix it. You have thousands and thousands of interactions with your children. You're going to not be able to hit the mark on 100%. Right, right. Any final
1: thoughts or advice for parents who are struggling to convince their child to go to therapy, young teen I think we pretty
2: much covered it all. I think the challenge today is that coupled with the pressure of social media has on the whole situation. And just, I think, just keep it open on. Like you said, like your son's very private. Things are very private. Just try to observe from afar and pay attention. And if you're concerned about something, just ask your son or daughter about it. Right. Don't be nervous about doing that. They may not give you the right answer. They may hide it. But if you're persistent over time, they will at least know that you're there if they need to go to you. And Mm -hmm. just monitor if things get really concerning, Mm -hmm. then you might have to take action. But there's lots of different ways. And there's usually people have a lot of supports in their lives Mm -hmm. to be helpful if they can't hear it from Mm -hmm. their mom or dad. Yeah, it's
1: tough as a parent to ask respectfully without being nosy or pushy. Right. Because right. even parents, it's hard to establish and maintain boundaries as parents. Like, when do I cross that line? When am I going, you know, asking just inquisitively as just a passing mild question to prying? And when do they perceive it that way? It's definitely a fine line. It's a balancing act.
2: Right. And you can't control how they perceive it, right? They but only can control. You only can control what you do and say. Right. So. Like you're saying, you could say something very benign and they could perceive it as the worst thing you've ever said. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's almost like we talk, talk two different languages. Oh, exactly.
1: right? like yeah. Japanese and Greek. Did you just say that? No. Exactly. What did exactly. you just hear?
2: <laughs> exactly. So just <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out like teen speak. Right. Why did you hear it the way I'm, I know. I'm confused? I use I'm confused a lot. I think that's very non-confrontational. It's mm-hmm. hard to get mad at someone when you say you're confused, right? right. So if your child or teenager reacts in a way that you didn't expect because you felt like your question was really benign, you could say that. I'm confused. Like, I was just asking what you wanted. for I didn't expect this reaction. Like <laughs> Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Lisa, thank you so
1: much for coming on this podcast today. I know you probably have a lot going on in terms of reports and meetings. So I'm so grateful that you carved this time out to talk about this minefield of a question and help us unpack it. So thanks again so much. Thank you. And I hope that what I had to say was helpful to you and your listeners. Great. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. All All right. right. See again on the Rick Family Law Divorce Podcast.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Remember, the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast is not legal, financial, or tax advice, nor should it be construed as such. We recommend that you consult a qualified legal or tax professional before making any decisions about any of the topics discussed in our broadcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe. To catch all the latest from the Wright Family Law Group, sign up for our email list and newsletter on our website at WrightFamilyLawGroup.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.